Well, this is our 15th message in our series in Proverbs, uh, specifically these teaching lectures that Solomon gave to his children. I'm sure that Solomon had many teaching sessions with his children, but these are the ones that the Holy Spirit of God selected to preserve for us. These lectures end in chapter 9, so we are nearing the end of our study. We'll be in chapter 8 today. Uh, but beginning in chapter 10, there are about 800 proverbs or wise sayings of Solomon that are included in this collection of Solomon's teaching. You may remember from our past studies that in 1 Kings chapter 4, it tells us that Solomon spoke 3,000 proverbs and wrote 1,005 psalms. But the Holy Spirit chose to preserve about 800 of these wise sayings for us here in the book of Proverbs, in addition to these teaching sessions that we're examining. But Proverbs chapter 8, where we are today, records for us one of the great themes of the Bible, one of the outstanding truths about God that is woven through the Scriptures from beginning to end, and that is God wants to be known. When God created the universe, when He created this planet, He put Adam and Eve here in the Garden of Eden. He had fellowship with them every day because God wants to be known. When Adam and Eve rebelled against the revealed will of God and they ate the forbidden fruit, God did not hide from them. Adam and Eve hid from God. God came to them, reaching out to them, providing a temporary covering for sin and promising a future Redeemer who was going to make things right because God wants to be known. Later on, God selected a man, Abraham, through whom he would grow a nation that would represent him in the world. And God selected this nation to represent him because God wants to be known. He gave them a written set of laws to govern them and to direct every area of their lives. And this written set of God's desires and intentions and instructions for mankind was to be preserved for all generations because God wants to be known. And when His people broke His laws, God sent them prophets to call them to repent and to turn back to the Lord and tell them what was coming in future days because God wants to be known. And just at the right time, and in just the right place, the Apostle Paul called it the fullness of time in the book of Galatians, in just the right time and at just the right place in history, God the Son came to earth, took on a human body, and fulfilled every prophecy ever spoken about His first coming as the Redeemer. He died and He rose again to redeem human beings from the eternal judgment of our sin, Hebrews 1 tells us that God spoke in various times and in various ways to our ancestors through the prophets, but has in these last days spoken to us by His Son. He says in a couple of verses later, He is that this Son is the brightness of God's glory and the express image of God's person. So God in the flesh, Jesus Christ, was showing us who God is because God wants to be known. Jesus said to his disciple Philip the night before the crucifixion, he said, have I been with you so long, Philip, and yet you have not known me? If you have seen me, you have seen the Father. God wants to be known. He was expressing that through Jesus Christ. King David wrote in Psalm 19, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the expanse of the sky shows His handiwork. 
The Apostle Paul wrote in Romans 1 that God's person, meaning his attributes, what he is like, that God's person and God's power are clearly seen in the created world. It's there very, written out very clearly in, in Romans 1. God has revealed many things about himself through the things that he has created so that no one has an excuse for rejecting him. God wants to be known, and He has revealed Himself to us in a general way through creation and in a specific detailed way through the Lord Jesus Christ. Theologians call it general revelation and special revelation. General revelation of God comes to us through His creation, and special revelation comes to us through the Lord Jesus Christ. All of which reminds us again that God wants to be known. God wants to be known so that we can know Him and love Him and serve Him. And God's design for us is to have a relationship with Him. To know Him and to make Him known to others. To, to know what God requires of us. To know what God's design is for us. To understand God's plan for us. God wants to be known so He is not hiding. Back in the early 1970s, the philosopher-theologian Francis Schaeffer published a book entitled, He is There and He is Not Silent, speaking of God. Very true. He is there and He is not silent. And here in Proverbs chapter 8, we see the same truth regarding God's wisdom. Look at verse 17. We're going to look at the whole chapter in a moment. But look at verse 17, Proverbs 8, 17. Speaking of wisdom personified by, by Solomon, he says, I love those who love me, and those who seek me diligently will find me. You can see that, you, you will see that truth repeated all over the scriptures. You want God, you can find God. If you look for wisdom, you'll find it. Do you want to live a life that's pleasing to the Lord? Find wisdom. Do you want to know how to make good choices? Find wisdom. Do you want to be able to untangle confusing situations in life? Find wisdom. And as we've shared with you in weeks past in our study in Proverbs, wisdom is not intelligence. Wisdom is not a high IQ. Wisdom is not having a photographic memory. Wisdom is not having straight A's in your educational endeavors. Wisdom is the skill to live a godly life. It is knowing what to do and what to say and what choices to make in various situations where your life may take you. Wisdom is a learned skill. It is the skill to live a godly life. It is something that we can develop through exposure to God's Word and developing godly character so, so, so that God's priorities become our priorities. God's values become our values. God's perspectives become our perspectives. God's truth becomes our guide. And our whole worldview is formed because of our exposure to God's Word. Remember uh, in the Scripture that God said that King David was a man after God's own heart. You ever wonder what that means? He simply means that David's heart was like God's heart. It was patterned after God's heart. David loved what God loved. David hated what God hated. David's values were God's values. And of course, you know, if you know much of the Scripture at all, you know, you know that David was a sinner just like all the rest of us. He blew it big time on more than one occasion. But David knew the Lord in a very close and intimate way. And even in David's failures, 
His repentance, and what I mean by his repentance, was the way he repented, the way he expressed his repentance. But even in David's failures, his repentance was a reflection of his understanding of the character of God. If you want to see that uh, listed in just such a beautiful way, of course, you can read Psalm 51 and Psalm 32. Those are great, uh, great uh, psalms of repentance that David wrote after he'd sinned with Bathsheba. You want to read another great passage? Look at 2 Samuel chapter 24 sometime. When David numbered the people and see what God told him he was going to do. See how David responded to that. And you will see that even, even when David sinned, even when he blew it big time, David's repentance... Was, was a reflection of his understanding of the character of God. God opens our hearts, God grants wisdom, but it will always be connected to our understanding of God and His Word. And you and I can develop wisdom when our hearts are open to the Lord and we are exposing ourselves to, to, to His Word through reading and study and preaching and memorizing and so forth. I love those who love me. And those who seek me diligently will find me. So in our passage today, Solomon pictures wisdom calling out to us, pleading with us, offering us her advice. And I've divided the chapter into four parts. Wisdom's plea, wisdom's value, wisdom's history, and wisdom's blessings. First of all, wisdom's plea. Look at the first nine verses. Does not wisdom cry out? And understanding lift up her voice. She takes her stand on the top of the high hill, beside the way where the paths meet. She cries out by the gates at the entry of the city, at the entrance of the doors. To you, O men, I call, and my voice is to the sons of men. O you simple ones, understand prudence, and you fools, be of an understanding heart. Listen, for I will speak of excellent things, and from the opening of my lips will come right things, for my mouth will speak truth. Wickedness is an abomination to my lips. All the words of my mouth are with righteousness. Nothing crooked or perverse is in them. They are all plain to him who understands, and right to those who find knowledge. This is wisdom's plea. Wisdom wants to be heard. Wisdom wants to be shared. That is the plea. Does not wisdom cry out and understanding lift up her voice? Wisdom wants to be heard. Solomon pictures wisdom out in the open, standing on a high hill, operating at the city gates, calling out to anyone who will listen. This week I came across an interesting picture of the ruins of a city that Solomon actually had built during his reign. It's the city of Gezer. It was, a, it was a very interesting to me that when we usually think of a city gate, we think of one big wall and we think of a gate kind of in between some of the rocks and attached to the wall somehow, one big gate there. But if you notice in, in verse 3, it says she cries out by the gates, plural, at the entry of the city at the entrance of the doors, plural. So you got one entry, but you got plural gates, plural doors. And I understand why uh, Solomon wrote that like that when I saw that, that, that picture. Because when Solomon built this city, he had the city walls, but at the entry to the city, it wasn't just one gate. There was, uh, there was some pieces of wall that kind of jutted out from the wall, and there were actually three gates working their way into the city. And that area of the city gates was where all the commerce took place. 
the, the, the outer gate, there were corrals on either side where they had all of the animals there. There was lots of buying and selling that was going on there. Uh, the next gate in was the judicial court area where people resolved various disputes and came to speak to people about different legal problems they were having. And then the third gate, as you were coming in, just inside that, there was a public gathering place where they made government announcements or they discussed public business. So you had the marketplace, you had the legal area, you had the public government area that you would pass through before you actually got into the residential area of the city. And in times of war, it also provided extra protection because the enemy would have to break through three different gated areas which could be defended from the tops of the walls that were surrounding them. And the reason why this is interesting to me is that Solomon pictures to me wisdom crying out in every area of life. He doesn't say wisdom goes to the outer gate to speak to the guys in business. He says she cries out by the gates at the entrance to the doors. Solomon's pictures wisdom crying out in the economic business areas of life, in the legal areas of life, in the government public policy areas of life. She's on the road. She's on the hilltops. She's in the courtroom. She's in the halls of government. She's in the store. She's in your wallet. She's in your bank account. She's in your business practices. She's in your all your buying and selling. Wisdom is everywhere calling out, listen to me, listen to me. I can save you a lot of grief. I can save save you a lot of heartache and headache. Everything I tell you will be true and righteous. Nothing crooked will come from me, he said. Verse 7, my mouth will speak truth. Wickedness is an abomination to my lips. All the words of my mouth are righteousness. Nothing crooked or perverse is in them. And wisdom calls out, listen to me, listen to me. Everything I tell you will be true and righteous. Nothing crooked is going to come from me. Wisdom wants to be heard. Wisdom wants to be in the middle of your decisions. That's wisdom's plea. She's calling out. She wants to be heard. She wants to be in the middle of your decisions. But then wisdom's value. The next section, verses 10 through 21. Receive my instruction and not silver and knowledge rather than choice gold, for wisdom is better than rubies, and all the things one may desire cannot be compared with her. I, wisdom, dwell with prudence and find out knowledge and discretion. The fear of the Lord is to hate evil. Pride and arrogance and the evil way and the perverse mouth I hate. Counsel is mine and sound wisdom. I am understanding. I have strength. By me kings reign and rulers decree justice. By me princes rule and nobles, all the judges of the earth. I love those who love me, and those who seek me diligently will find me. Riches and honor are with me, enduring riches and righteousness. My fruit is better than gold, yes, than fine gold, and my revenue than choice silver. I traverse the way of righteousness in the midst of the paths of justice, that I may cause those who love me to inherit wealth, that I may fill their treasuries. Wisdom's value. Wisdom is valuable for two reasons. Wisdom is valuable because of what she possesses, and wisdom is valuable because of what she gives. These, this passage tells us that wisdom possesses prudence, that we don't use that word much. It simply means thoughtful choices and planning ahead and looking ahead at possible options and pitfalls and, and, and making the thoughtful decisions as to what's, going, what's coming down the road. 
Wisdom possesses prudence. She has the fear of the Lord. She has good advice. She has understanding. She has strength. All of those things can keep us from foolish choices. Wisdom can protect us. It can give us insight. It can resolve relationship issues. It can direct our financial decisions. It can strengthen our walk with the Lord. It is the most valuable commodity on earth. Verse 11 says, Wisdom is better than rubies, and all the things that one may desire cannot be compared to her. Wisdom gives material blessings. Don't get caught up in verse 21 that I may cause those who love me to inherit wealth, that I may feel their treasures. <gasps> if I get wisdom, I'll get rich. Whoa, that'll be great, Lord. Give me wisdom so I can be rich. Okay, don't get caught up in, in all of that and, and skip all the rest of the passage here. Remember one thing, these are principles, not signs of guaranteed quantities. You are not, as the televangelist may try to tell you, planting a seed, and now God's going to give you bunches of money. You've seen those things on Facebook, pray this prayer, repost this on your line, and money will come to you tomorrow. Yeah, hogwash. Solomon is not saying, plant a seed. Of course, when the televangelists say that, plant a seed means send me money. And then, and, then, and then God will give you a whole bunch of money. And they say, wait a minute, didn't God tell the children of Israel in Malachi 3 that if they would bring their tithes to the temple storehouse as he had instructed them, he'd open the windows of heaven and pour out blessings on them? He did say that. But he didn't say it'd be money. Did the Apostle Paul also say in 2 Corinthians 9 regarding New Testament giving, he who sows sparingly will reap sparingly, he who sows bountifully will reap bountifully? He did indeed say that. But it is an incorrect biblical motivation to think that God will owe me something if I give to him. God owes me nothing. I owe him everything. Whatever he gives us is by his grace. And actually Paul goes on to say just a couple verses after he says, he who sows bountifully will reap bountifully. He says, God is able to make all grace abound to you. 2 Corinthians 9 verse 8. And he does make all grace abound to us. And that's what Solomon is speaking of in our text. Wisdom brings God's grace to us, sometimes in the form of material blessings. But look at verse 18 and 19. Riches and honor are with me. And notice he says, enduring riches and righteousness. My fruit is better than gold, yes, than fine gold. And my revenue is better than choice silver. Solomon talks about enduring riches and wisdom bearing fruit that's better than gold and silver. So physical material blessings are not wisdom's primary gift to us. In fact, I like it when Solomon says in verse 18, enduring riches. Because Solomon said in, in, in one of his Proverbs there, and up in Proverbs chapter 23, he said, do not focus your life on getting rich. For riches certainly will make themselves wings and fly away like an eagle toward heaven. Every time I read that verse, I think of something a guy said to me, an elderly native guy, many, many years ago. You know, he said, Larry, if somebody gave you a thousand dollars, You'd take that $1,000, you'd roll it up, you'd put it in your pocket, you'd think about how you could spend that, and how long it would take you to spend that, and what you're going to use that on. If somebody gives me $1,000? <laughs> Solomon said, hey, riches can make themselves wings and fly away like an eagle toward heaven. 
can be gone in a heartbeat. And so he says, wisdom brings you enduring riches and righteousness. Things that are better than gold and silver. God's grace and His honor and His righteousness come to us by learning wisdom. That's what gives it its value, and that's what makes it worth pursuing. Remember, Solomon is telling his children how they can be successful kind of as a royal family, leading with the blessing of God for the glory of God. He said in Proverbs 29, 2, When the righteous are in authority, the people rejoice. When the wicked rule, the people mourn. Unfortunately, Solomon's sons did not listen to some of this wisdom. Uh, if you know the history of the Old Testament, but here, wisdom's value is that she will bless you and you will see the hand of God in your life. Wisdom is valuable because of what she possesses and she is valuable because of what she gives. Wisdom's history. I will I'll read through this section. We'll make a lot of comments. I'll let you kind of think about some of that. But wisdom's history, verse 22 up to verse 31. The Lord possessed me at the beginning of his way before his works of old. I, speaking about wisdom now, personified wisdom. I have been established from everlasting, from the beginning before there was ever an earth. When there were no depths, I was brought forth. When there were no fountains abounding with water, before the mountains were settled, before the hills, I was brought forth. While as yet he had not made the earth of the fields, or the primal dust of the world. When he prepared the heavens, I was there. When he drew a circle on the face of the deep, when he established the clouds above, when he strengthened the fountains of the deep, when he assigned to the sea its limit so that the waters could not transgress his command, when he marked out the foundations of the earth, then I, wisdom, was beside him as a master craftsman, and I was daily his delight, rejoicing always before him, rejoicing in his inhabited world, and my delight was with the sons of men." This is an interesting account of creation that kind of parallels the Genesis account. But the point of the passage for us is that true wisdom is God's wisdom. And God used wisdom, skill, to create the earth. Everything that God did in creation, He did by using wisdom. So wisdom is creative. Wisdom is as eternal as God Himself. Not only is wisdom creative and eternal, wisdom is practical. It's not pie-in-the-sky wishful thinking. It is useful and practical in daily living. Wisdom is a master craftsman, verse 30 tells us, used by the hand and mind of God to construct this entire planet and set everything in motion. So when we seek God's wisdom, we are seeking the mind of God. When we are pursuing the eternal, creative, practical skill that God used to bring this universe into existence, that is wisdom. When we learn wisdom, we are learning from the Ancient of Days, as Daniel called him, who is not only all-knowing and all-powerful, but also all-wise. The little book of Jude, the very last verse, verse 25 of the book of Jude, says, to God our Savior, who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen. Wisdom's plea is to be heard and shared. Wisdom's value is in what she possesses and in what she gives. Wisdom's history dates to the dawn of creation. She is God's master craftsman, eternal, creative, and practical. But then, wisdom's blessing, the last verses, verse 32 to 36. Now therefore, listen to me, my children, 
For blessed are those who keep my ways. Hear instruction and be wise, and do not disdain it. Blessed is the man who listens to me, watching daily at my gates, waiting at the posts of my doors. For whoever finds me finds life and obtains favor from the Lord. He who sins against me wrongs his own soul. All those who hate me love death. The blessing of wisdom comes to those who are willing to listen and willing to obey. We've spoken of this before, you're probably well aware of it. When the Bible speaks of listening or hearing, it is not referring to sound waves penetrating your eardrums. It refers to focusing on what is being said so you can do it. You all had a practical illustration for this, either as a child or as a parent. When my mother said to me, Larry Bunyan, do you hear me? She did not mean, is the sound of my voice penetrating your eardrums. That's not what she meant. Okay, she meant, do you get it, and are you going to do it? That's what the Bible's talking about. You are hearing for the purpose of doing. This is all over the scripture. Jesus said many times, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. In the book of Revelation, the, the Apostle John said in the letters to the seven churches, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. James writes, Be doers of the word and not hearers only. Jesus said, Carol mentioned this in her testimony a few moments ago, in, 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 in Matthew chapter 7, that he who hears my sayings and does them is like the man who built his house on the rock. And look at verse 34. Blessed is the man who listens to me, watching daily at my gates, waiting at the posts of my doors. That's a great metaphor, a great word picture. He says, he, he's basically saying, are we standing by wisdom's house every day, watching and waiting for her to come out so we can hear what she's going to tell us next? Blessed is the man who listens to me, watching daily at my gates and waiting at the posts of my doors. Here's Winston's house. I'm going to stand in her front yard and I'm going to wait for her to come out and tell me something. That's what Solomon's picturing there. And he said, you're going to watch daily, waiting at the posts of her doors. Are we standing by Winston's house every day, watching and waiting for her to come out so we can hear what she's going to tell us next? That's the way to find wisdom's blessings. That's the way to experience God's favor. He says in verse 35, whoever finds me finds life and obtains favor from the Lord. And then in that last, last verse 36, he's basically saying, you really want to screw up your life? Throw wisdom out the window. Just throw wisdom away and forget it. You, you can really screw up your life. He who sins against me wrongs his own soul. All who hate me love death. So how do we pursue wisdom? The book of Colossians chapter 2 and verse 3 says that in Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 30 says that Christ Jesus became for us wisdom from God. So we will never find wisdom until we first find Christ. Until we repent of our sin and come to Christ for forgiveness and have our relationship restored with our Creator and Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, we will never have the capacity or the ability to find wisdom. 
You can't find wisdom until you first found Christ. And once we are in Christ, then the path to wisdom can open for us. It will come through our reading and our study and our application of God's Word. We must hear for the purpose of doing. A heart of obedience opens the door to growing in wisdom. Do you hear wisdom's plea? Listen to me, my children. Do you understand wisdom's value? Wisdom is better than rubies, and all the things one may desire cannot be compared to her. Do you respect wisdom's history? She is older than this earth. Do you want wisdom's blessings? Hang around outside her house and watch and wait for her to come out so you can hear her speak to you. For as Solomon winds up his thoughts, whoever finds me finds life and obtains favor from the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, we know that in your word, it is filled with wisdom. In our relationship with you and the guidance of the Holy Spirit, we can be filled with wisdom. But Lord, we don't seek you enough. We don't hang around outside wisdom's house enough, waiting for her to come out to speak to us. We make snap decisions. We, we don't pray about things as we ought. We don't search your word like we should. And I just pray, Lord, that we would hear wisdom's plea calling to us. That we would respect the eternal, creative, practical nature of what you want to teach us. And help us, Lord, to seek wisdom with all our heart. You will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. Help us, we pray, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.